0: As members of the Rock Church family, there are four things that we are very passionate about that uh, literally is part of our DNA. That's who we are. And first of all, we are passionate about loving God. Somebody say loving God. God. Secondly, growing in Christ. Say growing in Christ. Thirdly, serving others. Say serving others. And fourthly, reaching our world. Say reaching our world. Those four things are for us is we don't compromise about that. That's that's the mission. That's what God has called us to do. And that is where we are heading. And so today we're going to start that off and Pastor Joe is going to come and and, uh, share with us on what it truly means to love God. And then we're going to end the service a little bit differently. And I'll tell you more about that uh, after Pastor Joe has come and shared the word. So here's what I want you to do is I want you to honor the Lord today for the gift of Pastor Joe. And Pastor Joe, I want you to come and I want you to share the word of God with us. Come on, let's honor him as he comes and share the word with us.
1: Thank you so much, Pastor Henny, and all of you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, prospects of rain again this morning, but the Lord is shining on us, and uh, the rain is holding off. Thank you for being here. The opportunity for us to, as Pastor Henny mentioned, not only today but for the four Sundays of March, focus on the mission statement of the Rock Church. And I want to tell you, having been a pastor for 44 some odd years, that the mission statement of the Rock Church is as good as it gets. Uh, It is good in the sense that it uses an economy of words to map out our strategy for what it means to be a church. It provides clarity to our vision for being the redeemed community that God would have us to be. Again, and by the way, uh, there's probably... Uh, some of you who actually have not seen the mission statement, but it is published, it's on the website, as well as I'm sure other literature that the church produces. But when you visit the website, or when anybody visits the website, and they care enough to investigate what might be the goal of this church, what might be, as we often refer to it, the mission statement, you will read that we are, as Pastor Henny just mentioned, committed to loving God, serving others, growing in Christ, and reaching our world. Now that has been condensed into eight words, four couplets of two, for the month of March. Loving God, loving others, loving growth, and loving the lost. One of the scriptures that uh, provides the basis for this vision, uh, I'm convinced of this, and I know this to be the case, is the passage that has been our focus during the midweek series uh, that we're currently in. And that passage is where Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 8, and 9, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this passage which is uh, monumental in the scope of what's being taught in the New Testament, uh, not only challenges us, uh, but it also, again, provides a, uh, frankly, mission statement for those who will follow Christ, a mission statement for the church. It is, do you see it in this passage, as you appreciate, again, the idea of loving God, loving others, loving growth, loving the lost. That's what Jesus is talking about in what we call the great commandment. It was interesting that the Pharisee asked him, what is the great commandment? And Jesus gave him two. Uh, We think of those in some sort of priority. You do one and then you do the other. You love God and then you love your neighbor as yourself. But that's not what Jesus taught because he realized that when you love God, you will love your neighbor. When you love God, you will love yourself. And so it's not love God, then love your neighbor, then love yourself. The passage correctly, exposited, teaches us Love God and love your neighbor and love yourself. So this first Sunday in March, this vision month for us, I get the privilege to share about loving God. And what does that mean? I mean, really, you know, we throw that term around. But let's be mature about this, this one. Let's be honest about it. What does it really mean when we say we're to love God? Would you not agree that we would love God as something all of us should want to do? Would you agree with that? Well, you say, sure, Pastor Joe, I love God. Why do you even ask? But I wonder sometimes if, in honesty, we're a little bit more like Peter than we're willing to admit. Peter, do you love me? Sure, Jesus, you know that I like you. Well, you chuckled, but the reality is that's exactly what Peter said. The passage in John 21, 15, 16, and 17 is rather unique because it gives us a little bit of a lesson in the Greek language with respect to that word, L-O-V-E. There are four different words in uh, Koine Greek that could be translated love, three of which appear in the New Testament. The one that we're most familiar with, of course, is agape. And agape love, of course, was unconditional love, as we'll see in a moment, sacrificial love. Another form of love is phileo love. Phileo love is a commendable love. It's a good love. It's a great love, but it's not as high or intense as agape love. It is a brotherly type of love. We put the word phileo with the word for adelphos, and we create the city of Philadelphia, which is nothing like what the Bible is supposed to be uh, describing when you use the term Philadelphia, brotherly love. Um, and so, so Jesus, uh, that great morning there on, on the shores of Galilee with Peter and the rest of the disciples post-resurrection. Peter, do you love me? We'll get back in a moment to why he actually zeroed in on Peter. But Peter, do you love me? And Jesus uses the word agape. Peter, do you love me with unconditional love? Peter says, sure, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So then Jesus says a second time, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? Peter says, Lord, I love you. Translated in most English translations, you read again the word L-O-V-E, but that's not what Peter actually said. Peter said, Lord, I like you with a brotherly love. You're my brother. And then the third time Jesus says, okay, Peter, do you paleo me? Now Peter's a little perturbed. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Didn't you notice that I liked you on Facebook? So are we willing at times to admit even just a little bit, that we're more like Peter than we want to admit. Some years ago, when I was sharing the Lord with a person or the guy, he responded to my initial inquiries about did he know the Lord? Did he know Jesus? And he said, I mentioned this last Wednesday night, he said, Well, I'm a fan of Jesus. And I thought, Well, that's interesting. I'm sure Jesus is impressed with that. I'm a fan of Jesus. You see, when you're a fan of Jesus, you're really not in the game. You're just rooting for him on the sidelines. And as a fan, your love can turn into something less than love when the team is not winning. Peter said, because he thought the team might not be winning, I'm going back fishing. Not I'm just going to go hang out for the day and fishing, but I think I might go back to my old life. I think I'm going back fishing. And Jesus shows up and told Peter, get back in the game. By the way, as I mentioned, why did he ask Peter, do you love me three times? Many believe it was to remind Peter that for all his talk of following Christ and dying for him, he had just denied the Lord three times. So much for talk. And one thing we must learn from this passage in John 21 is that Jesus asked you to fall in love with him, not for his sake, but for your sake and for the sake of his sheep. Peter, do you love me? I love you. Feed my sheep. That's why he responded every time to Peter's declaration of love by saying, feed my sheep. That is to say, love God, love others, love the lost. He knows, Jesus does, that our love for him will translate into love for others. And if it doesn't, it will prove that what you are sharing, what you're experiencing is something less than agape love. 1 John 4, verse 20 is riveting. It's compelling. If someone, John says, says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Listen, guys, God knows that when you love him, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Remember when God is at the center of our lives. And by the way, without getting too deep into it, that is really the focus of our Wednesday night study, creating what I think is the more biblical paradigm of how we think we, we follow priorities, how we order our lives. It's not so much God in first place. It's God in the center of our lives from where then he can touch anyone and anybody rotating and revolving around your life. Remember that when God is at the center of our lives, then it is again, as I said a moment ago, God and neighbor, and then God and neighbor and self. When you love God, you will love and serve others. When you love Jesus, you will feed his sheep. When you love the Lord of the work, you'll be better equipped to do the work of the Lord. That is clear biblical teaching. It occurs to me, however, Up to this point, we're still really just discussing love in some abstract, abstract terms. What does loving God really mean? What does it look like? Am I correct in saying that we know what God's love looks like? Would you agree with that? Am I correct in saying that we have some idea of what God's love looks like? 1 John 4 Verses 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We know what love looks like when God demonstrated it. The one other verse that is even more clear is Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God, but God demonstrated his own love for us. Uh, In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is there any question to any of us today uh, how God demonstrated his his love for us? Are you in doubt at all at how God shared and showered his love upon you? Romans 5, 8 is clear enough. God demonstrated his love by giving us his son. Paul tells us how God demonstrated his love. But here's the question. You ready? How do we demonstrate our love for God? I'm not going to stand up here and preach to you about how God demonstrated his love for you. You know that. What I need to challenge us is how do we demonstrate our love for God? How do we demonstrate our love for God? And I have a suggestion, and it may perhaps surprise you. It's in your notes, so you're ready. Here it is. We will demonstrate our love for God the same way He demonstrated His love for us. Wait. <laughs> what? He will demonstrate we will demonstrate our love for God the same way He demonstrated His love for us. Let me clarify our demonstration of love. Will just not be in the same way he did but it will still be the same way he did in principle when you reduce John 3.16 the most famous of all Bible verses down when you boil it down for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son the word believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life if you just for time's sake I won't do it but if you just whittle it down you'll come out with just two words God gave That's what you'll finally be reduced to. You just kind of, you know, invert a pyramid down and the last two words you have is, and it's not, and, and, and actually it would be love gave. That's what you'd be left with. Love gave. For Jesus, listen to me, for Jesus loving us meant giving his life. Do you agree with that? How many of you agree with that statement? For Jesus loving us meant giving his life. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The Bible is clear on this. This is how we know what love is. The other John 3, 16. First John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The passage I just quoted, greater love has no man, John 15, 13. How about Paul in Ephesians 5:25? Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Love gives. So ask yourself. Jesus giving his life for me, Jesus giving his life for you. Ask yourself. How do I understand this incredible sacrifice? Because that's what it is. It's a sacrifice. And I want to ask you today, what does sacrifice look like? What does sacrifice look like? Well, it looks like Calvary. It looks like the cross. It looks like death. So if we're going to demonstrate our love for God, it will start and end with... Sacrifice sacrifice. That's what I mean by using the same in principle. We demonstrate our love for God the same way he demonstrated for us. He demonstrated with sacrifice, that is to say his son, but we will also demonstrate our love for God with sacrifice. Now all we've got to do is identify what those sacrifices might be. You will not be giving up your life, <laughs> For the sins of the world. How many of you are glad of that? (laughs) You will not be giving up your life for the sins of the world, but you are still called upon to give up your life. How many of us know that Jesus said to those who would follow him and be his disciples, how many of you know what he said? Jesus, I will follow you. I'll be your disciple. Jesus said... You can be my disciple if you go to church twice on Sunday and every Wednesday. You can be my disciple if you read your Bible every day and memorize the Pentateuch. You will be my disciple if you stock your library shelves with 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John Calvin, John MacArthur, and John Piper. No, no. Here's what Jesus said. If any of you want to be my follower, Matthew 16, 24, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You guys know that, don't you? You know that's what he said. Mark 8, 34, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Luke 9, 23, with one little addition. Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. Is it clear that Jesus is talking about life and death, dying to self, and living for him? Matthew 16, 25, after he mentioned that in verse 24, said, if you try to hang on to your life, from the New Living Translation, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, no wonder that Jesus tells us if we're going to be his disciples, we must take up the cross and follow him. Jesus showed us the love of God through sacrifice. And we will show forth the love of God to a lost and dying world by our sacrifice as well. So that you understand sacrifice, I want to share this with you as quickly as I can. But <clears throat> meditating upon this for a few weeks now, and especially this past week as I was in anticipation of standing here before you, it occurs to me that we can, at least it's not exhaustive to be sure, but we can come up with some ideas of what sacrifice is, what sacrifice actually means. I can stand up here and pontificate about you must sacrifice but we really have to have some tangible ideas. What does it mean if I'm really going to live an authentic Christian life of sacrifice? The very first word that comes to my mind is submission. Submission. Sacrifice means submission. And these are all biblically proven. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, Jesus said, but the will of him who sent me. John 5, 30, I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. There is this sense, even in the Son of God, of being submissive to the will of the Father. Sacrifice is always an exercise in submission. We talk about having an IQ. I would ask you, what's your SQ, your submission quotient? Because it's not easy. How many of you think submission is easy? It's difficult. It's got all these difficult terms. Submission, yielding, surrendering. I know we use that term a lot, we do here at the church, I, I use it, but I've always wondered why do we use the term surrender? Because classically you surrender to an enemy, not a friend, and God is your friend, not your enemy. You ever think of it? I would rather opt for this word submission. Submission. Surrender means I give up. Submission means I give in. Sacrifice means service, secondly. Submission, service. How about Jesus? He's leading the league in sacrifice. Mark 10:45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but, come on, finish it with me, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. You see, you can't, you can't divorce these ideas. You're giving your life, that means you serve. You're not here to be served, we're here to serve. Jesus led by serving and he loved by serving. And someone said, you will know if you have a servant's heart by the way you react when you're treated like one. Submission. Service. Can't get away from this one. Sacrifice means humility. Can't get away from it. Jesus showed that serving others and humility go hand in hand. The great passage, the upper room, John thirteen fifteen. Jesus sets an example for us to follow. He washed his disciples' feet, an act of love, humility, and service. And then don't miss it. What did he say? I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Paul picked up on this, I think, in that amazing passage in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, But each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another. Listen. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ. He had humility. How about you? And then. Fourthly. And again, this is the one you really can't get away from. Sacrifice ultimately means death. Sacrifice means death. Now, can we take a minute and think about the cross? Can we? Because I'm not totally sure we've got it right. And I mean that in humility. I'm not talking about the fact that we've made the cross into jewelry or ornaments or decals for our car windows. I'm not... Necessarily talking about that, although that's kind of part of it, I'm talking about the idea that we are supposed to, as Christians are taught, and we believe all our lives, bear some cross through life, lugging it around, weighed down every day. How you doing, brother? Well, I'm okay, but I got this burden of the cross. That's the way we go through our Christian life. We assume that's some kind of barometer of spirituality, bearing our cross. Well, may I say to you, the reason I said to you, I think we have it wrong at times, is because we have failed to remember that the cross had one purpose only. Come on. The cross in the ancient world, which is what Jesus died on, had just one purpose. Nobody had the cross hanging in their house Nobody was lugging around a cross or had it on their keychain. The cross had one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to die on. And that was it. It was capital punishment at its worst. It was brutal and it was barbaric. The Roman senator Cicero said, and I quote, Not only let the cross be absent from the person of Roman citizens, but its very name from our thoughts, eyes, and ears no Roman citizen could be crucified. Did you know that? That's why when they were going to kill Paul, they couldn't crucify him. They crucified Peter. Tradition says upside down, but they couldn't crucify Paul. Why? Because Paul was a Roman citizen. So, off with his head. If you were being led out to be crucified, dragging your cross, you weren't coming back. A.W. Tozer said a man going to the cross had no more plans for the future. (laughs) So what does Jesus mean then when he says I'm to bear my cross? It means not that I'm supposed to lug it around all my life. It means that I'm supposed to put it in the ground, get up on it, die on it, and live for him. Because the cross only means one thing, death to self. And raised to newness of life. I hope you're getting that, folks, because it's life-changing when you do. I mean, it really is. You say, well, Pastor Joe, he said, bear your cross daily. Well, that just means sometimes we got to do it every morning. <laughs> it still means to die on it. I love Who was it that said every Christian every morning has got to get up in the morning, get, strap yourself in the electric chair, and reach for the switch that says 2.20, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, it is Christ who lives in me. Today is not going to be my own will, I'm dead to that. Today I'm submissive, serving. Lord, I'm seeking humility. That's the one I ought to be careful with, because the moment I think I have it, I lost it. (laughs) Death means cross. I'm not sure, frankly, why some of us want to drag around a cross instead of using it for what it was made for. The point is, Jesus demonstrated his love by dying on the cross. And if I am to love him, I too must die to self, which then brings me to life and service for him. That's what Paul said. Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 2. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now folks, listen, I realize that this is not a real comfy subject. I get that. This death to self stuff is not uh, just a little unsettling. But there's no middle ground. You're either all in or you're not. Uh, This death to self stuff is serious business. You can't be like the kamikaze pilot on his 27th mission. I'll give you a moment to think about that one. Speaking of all in, isn't that what Jesus says about loving God, really? Love the Lord with, come on, all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Isn't, isn't what Jesus actually telling us today is get in the game, get all in. We're not playing poker here, guys. <laughs> That word all, it means the whole of something, every bit of something, the entirety of something. It allows no room for partiality, for fractions, for division, for incompleteness. Someone said all means all, and that's all all means. You know what all means in the Greek New Testament? All. You're quick. Are we all in? On loving God, all is unyielding, uncompromising. God wants all of you, not almost all of you. We want some middle ground. It's such an unsettling word. We want some space, don't we? We want some wiggle room. This all or nothing equation is... Too unrealistic, too demanding. Come on, come on. It's just too impossible, isn't it? Yet Jesus offered no wiggle room. There is no easy way out. There is no padded cross. There is only the old rugged cross. G.K. Chesterton once said, Christianity has not been tried uh, and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And there is something incredibly great, but also deliberately difficult in these words Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. They are repeatedly set forth in Scripture. They're in your notes, so I won't go through it. Deuteronomy 4, 29, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. Jeremiah, that great passage, 29, 3, and you will seek me, God says, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. (laughs) Not too long ago, we did the thing on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, remember, in the honor and blessing series. That we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. The Scripture clearly makes a case for being all in. God wants all of you, not almost all of you. The great Oswald Chambers, perhaps you have his classic devotional book. If you don't, you should go out and get it. My Utmost for His Highest. How many of you have that great devotional book? Many of you do. That's great. Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. And so when I think about that, I'm challenged. It's a compelling idea that God, in fact, wants my utmost, not my almost. And we just saying, God's love should bring us to our knees. Are you going to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and as you do, you will discover with that love for God at the center of your life a new purpose in your life. I really believe that. I know Pastor Henny believes that. You will discover a new purpose in your life. Things that you thought were really important, not so much anymore. A new vision will dominate the landscape of your life. As you love others for Christ, love growing in Christ, and love the lost for whom Christ died. The love of God demonstrated at the cross of Christ demands nothing less. How many of you remember the great words, one of the great hymns of all time written by Isaac Watts? When I survey. The wondrous cross, upon which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all.